0: Hello and welcome to Of Poetry Podcast, episode 32 with Lynn Lawson. Lynn Lawson is author of Negro Asylum for the Lunatic Insane, Main Street Rag, 2023, Chime from Get Fresh Books, and the chapbook Before the Night Wakes You, finishing Line Press. He is also co-editor of The Future of Black, Afrofuturism, Black Comics, and Superhero Poetry, from Blair Press, and Hand in Hand, Poets Respond to Race, from Muddy Ford Press. South Carolina Humanities awarded Lynn a 2022 Governor's Award for Fresh Voices in Humanities. He has received fellowships from Tin House, Palm Beach Poetry Festival, Callaloo Barbados, Vermont Studio Center, and Virginia Center for the Creative Arts, among others. His poetry appears in African American Review, Callaloo, Ninth Letter, Verse Daily, Poetry Northwest, and has been translated internationally. Lynn earned a PhD in English Literature and Criticism at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Born and living in South Carolina, he's currently Assistant Professor of English at Newberry College. Hello and welcome, Lynn.
1: Oh, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. South Carolina poet and North Carolina press. These are all things that I just love to bring to the show. Um, Would you like to open us with a poem from your new book?
1: Yes, I will. Um, I'm going to start with uh, The Psychology of Black Folk. Called us four-legged beasts, wearing shackles as accessories, when we really have wings. Created for flits among petals, to leaps over treetops. Voices for calling tribes to war, for summoning the dead in us. Not for lowing and moaning, eating what our feet trample, chewing our cud until slaughter. We form ranks to carve our names in the skies, march the air until we inhabit the gods we gave life.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And we talked about um, just just starting this conversation by talking a little bit about your framing for Negro Asylum for the Lunatic Insane and and how you create the text
1: yeah that was probably like a strange title my post just said but well, that's a pretty long title maybe you should shorten a little bit i'm like no no i'm i'm good <laughs> because um i think in a few ways it uh really frames the book as far as uh the period which is like uh you know well it kind of skips around to uh different time periods um late nineteenth century going into the mid twentieth century or late twentieth century. So um that term Negro is like synonymous with like uh you know the past era of uh African Americans in this country and also um how uh black asylums were viewed during that period as, you know, Negro asylums, right? So um And they were called like, uh, and and not even just black asylums, but uh, just the regular asylums were just called the uh, hospital for the lunatic insane, or, you know, the insane asylum, you know? So today that kind of like, you know, doesn't sound very good to our ears to hear those terms, but that was very commonplace. So uh, I think that kind of frames it. Um, I guess for me, Uh, I was really thinking about a lot of this. Well, I mean, I have my own mental health journey personally. Of course, uh, during the pandemic, a lot of people were uh, considering therapy and mental health, uh, you know, because of being shut in and locked down and, you know, having to deal with, you know, so many different uh, mental health issues or emotions. But uh, I wanted to go a little deeper than that, like in thinking about just like mental health, not only for the black community, but also mental health within my surroundings. I was uh, born in South Carolina, lived here my whole life. So um, there is an asylum or a hospital that has existed since like, uh, you know, postbellum era. And, uh, it's called the South Carolina State Hospital, or it started out being the uh, uh, Lunatic Hospital, <laughs> but uh, it uh, it's been like a mystery to me. And I've always wanted to write about it or just explore it because, you know, outside of the four walls of that place, it's like you've never heard, you know, what goes on there or what happens there. And it's like in the middle of the state, right in the capital of uh, Columbia, South Carolina. So when I was a kid growing up, you know, people would just like make jokes about it. Like, you know, you know, you're, you're crazy. You need to, you need to go to the, you know, Bull Street is where it's located in Columbia. So you need to go to Bull Street. And I was just like, well, what's there? That's what I always thought about, you know? So um, there's just so much mystery surrounding it. And um, there was actually a an individual that did even more like solid research about it uh his name is william buck height he's a, a journalist here in south carolina and he actually went to the the place after it closed and got some photographs and just interviewed a lot of people and so he did an amazing job with that so i didn't want to like recreate that type of work again because you know he had done that already so i was like uh well, how can I frame this and use poetry? So um, I kind of just uh, thought about well, what would it look like uh, to have a, a black mental hospital um, that originated there because uh, you know eventually there was a, a black state hospital uh, for mental health here, but it was derivative from the, the predominantly white institution. So, um, it didn't originate there. So I was like, well, what if there was an original uh, all-Black mental health asylum here? And then how would that uh, work? So I kind of just, you know, just started you know, imagining and trying to create something surrounding that. And uh, it took about uh, maybe four or five years to sort of uh, write towards this. The, the manuscript went through like a lot of different versions and different poems in and out. So uh, this is the product of that.
0: Thank you. That's really, that's really helpful and interesting. Um, Because, you know, when you because I think of it as a book that's really interested in different kinds of text, which is really cool for a collection of poetry, too. but it opens right like the very first text that your reader sees is excerpt from a filibuster in the United States Senate 1845. Um, and, but that, but this is also you've written, right? Or no? Is yes. It, it, yeah. So that's like, that's like, inc- I don't know. I just think that's really incredible. And it, it makes me think about, um, Muriel Ruckeiser's like, poetry extends the document, right? Like, um, with the Book of the Dead. And for her, it's like a a historical document that poetry is extending. Um, but I also bring into this conversation, like, Honore Jeffers, The Age of Phyllis, and how, like, sometimes we have to imagine the documents that we need to extend. um, And that that is also, I think important historical work that poetry right. can do. Um, especially I think when we're talking about trauma and multiple generations. And um because like anytime I do genealogy work, what's really remarkable is typically this the huge, huge silences, like the huge things that are left mm-hmm. out. Um and you just, you know, like there might be a person who has anxiety, but like what happens in their families that came before absolutely matter to their anxiety in the present and so um totally you know when i see that you're very you know carefully balancing those different um those diff- like different kind of historical sources and you're able to do that in part because you're you're doing multi-genre work and you're you're um creating these texts. um what's that what is that like to kind of balance the different Kinds of writing um that your book is is asking of you
1: yeah um I thought that uh I just wanted to do the topic the history like justice I guess and not just say well you know this is me in this time that I'm living in just you know abject from everything that's happened like in history or apart from, you know, other historical figures and politics and all that, I I felt like I had to bring in a lot of voices to this work because it's so extensive. And, you know, when you say mental health, I mean, that just encompasses so much. And I think it's gone the way of being political rather than just, you know, uh, medical. Right. So, I, th- I think touching on those past eras kind of brings into the conversation like, you know, well, you know, why is, why are things now the way they are now as far as mental health and especially for black people? Why do we feel the way we feel about like mental health, going to therapy, you know, medication and, and all these type of things. So it's, it's a real uh, tough conversation to break into. So I, I it's, it's something that I wanted to like get the full grasp of rather than just, you know, take, you know, an inkling of it or just a narrow view of it.
0: Yeah. In the structure of your book, um, the way you have like the history of um, literally like the land and, um, and then you have the patient's diagnoses before math, after math, um, I think that structure is doing quite a lot because it's I don't know, I think of like a a kind of like proto and weirdly like anthology poetry project, something like Spoon River, right? Where there are like mini characters and they kind of have a chorus and they create the town yeah. through like their difference. Um but the like you're not you're not kind of leaving i think the the big things to chance um right like this is very intentional and um and i think that's that's helpful um because it it is such a big i mean it's like a like to deal with an institution right like it's just a lot of information um but oh i had a question about um What it's like, because I've my next book does does work with like trauma and, and family trauma in multiple generations. And um did you find yourself needing to take a lot of breaks or like how do you take care of yourself as a writer when you're engaging um with really, really difficult work?
1: That's a really good question. Um I think time is is always a tool that you can use to sort of separate yourself and re-engage yourself with the work. So not feel, I know like in like prose or maybe fiction writing, you might feel like you're on a schedule and you have to mm-hmm. you know, write to something uh, daily or weekly, like a ritual. I know because I I did a novel manuscript once and it's like really like rigid, timelines. I mean, well, I mean, you could do that with poetry too, if you, if you set those, but, um, I think just being able to like say, okay, I need a timeout. I need a break. I need to, uh, you know, go to a place mentally that spiritually that, you know, lets me step outside of this rather than, you know, try to barrel through it or, you know, have the blinders on with it because it can really have an effect on your mental health. Um, to engage with like traumas and uh things that people deal with on a daily basis that you don't even know about so a lot of that is just uh staying connected with reality <laughs> in the real world and the people around you that uh matter the most and to not just you know take this on alone or you know try to You know, I guess not necessarily place yourself into an asylum state where you're, you know, well, I have to be in these four walls and write until, you know, I'm, you know, blue in the face or, you know, until I'm done or, you know, until it's the greatest thing I've ever written, you know, that type of thing. So uh, we can put a lot of those pressures on ourselves as as writers to like uh, be, I guess, quote unquote, competitive uh, make the work the best thing it's ever been. But um, you know, those are those are like uh, things that affect me really. To you know, try to get my work to a place where I want it to be. But um, I, you know, have to take a step back and do things that bring me joy and not just uh make me feel like I'm working or just doing work. I guess that was helpful.
0: Yes. Wow, your line about um, to not put yourself into an asylum (laughs) state—it's incredible writing advice. Actually, it's, um, yeah, and even the like not staying inside four walls. Or, um, I think that speaks really strongly to um a lot of writers during the pandemic and, um.
1: Do you know, so a lot of people get that type of writing advice is like, OK, put yourself in these, <laughs> imprison yourself for, you know, X amount of days and just, you know, uh, you know, and I mean, you know, that like with with and things like that. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't make time to write, but I'm saying that, you know, any like excessive amount of that is unhealthy. So, um, to be able to have balances is, is really key. I think balance is just good mental health advice, period. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, I have this or I'm, I'm doing this work or I'm an artist, but I'm also a person. I'm also a husband. I'm also, you know, all these other things, a father, and uh, dealing with people outside of this. So, you know, you have to make time for the writer's life, which is all of it, not just, you know, the writing. So, I mean, Mentally speaking, that's that, that's something that I had to learn. It's like, well, you know, we would all love to just uh, be in a vacuum and be able to just engage with our work always. But, you know, everybody is not available to do that. I'm, I'm grateful and blessed to have like an opportunity to be flexible both with my career and with my writing to have time to to do it. But, um, you know, like I said, extremes usually aren't very healthy.
0: <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think I read that once, something, advice along similar lines in Annie Dillard, where it was one of her earlier, I think it's like the writer's life or I can't quite remember the title, Um, writing life and <laughs> did something very generic sounding. Um, But she talks about like, absolutely giving yourself no view like no literal physical view when you're writing you should go to like the most shut off you know she she would describe like the second floor of the library and she'd go find a place without a window or if there was a window she'd shut the shades because even that tree in the parking lot was like too distracting and and to me that's like anathema because I need like I need to be in a nice place I like if it's outside (laughs) like in front of a lake I think that's one of the best times riding I ever had was like you know it was like it was just like a man-made cul-de-sac kind of lake but um or like having a window with a tree and the bird, like that for me is like enriching and really helpful and um and we all need different things when it comes to attention but for me like the focus comes when I'm like in a text or in another text and I really mm-hmm. need to be pulled out of it sometimes. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. And that's, I mean, it's interesting that like the asylum met like metaphor, like the literal and the metaphor are something that you had to like really sit with um, right. for this text. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's a, a way to kind of describe like the, the writing process, I guess. Like, I mean, when you said distractions, that kind of made me think too about, you know, my process. And I think maybe I would like, I guess I would like to think I work better in that type of like closed off environment, but, you know, not for like uh, like off the grid for like weeks, If it's late, but uh, maybe if it's just, uh, you know, like an hour or two or or something like that, just short periods of of that to, you know, because a lot of times, like when I'm just going throughout the day or like my daily ritual or something, I'm, you know, downloading things to write, right? (laughs) Or things to write will come in to my mind. And so I'll have to like, you know, either jot something down or like put it in the phone and you know store it, right? Because and then when I'm ready to process all of that or or like diagnose it all, then that's when I might, you know, shut myself from everything else, just so I can have time to figure out, okay, what what is this spirit trying to say to me right now? You know, what is what is this poem trying to to you know birth itself into. But uh yeah, I think all of, you know all everybody's process is different and there's obviously no uh, there's a common I guess way to, you know get into the writer's life, but you know, everybody has their own thing, and I guess that's why people uh, clamor for that because they want to hear you know what do you do? what do you what do you do? you know what's your what's your deal? What, what's your process and all that? So because um, nobody wants to to hear that, well, the way you do it is wrong. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think if it's healthy and, you know, is healthy physically, mentally, spiritually, then, and it helps you get outdoor, then, you know, I say do it.
0: Yeah. Well, and when you were talking about kind of paying attention to the way poetry ideas will intrude, like the way they interrupt, um, and even before you were saying that i was just thinking about how distraction is also attention it's not attention to what you're doing but it's attention to something else and poets are are, are really open often to those interruptions in in part because we work with smaller texts and so it's not actually going to take us away that long <laughs> you know that it will bring back but um yeah there's something for me about like it's somehow a connection with the invocation of the muse or that there's like an interruption process. That's And, and you're like, I'm open to that. I'm open to being interrupted. Um, sure. I did just learn this week that apparently um, PTSD can sometimes be misdiagnosed as ADHD. Because if you're um, <clears throat> frozen in a flight response, then you will constantly... Be kind of oh, and I that that blew my mind because again like it's just in terms of mental health you you think it's like separate or it doesn't touch everything but like when it's in a person's body it does like it, it does touch all aspects of you in ways we just really many ways we don't understand or don't know yet or um and I mean I think that brings us right back into see your text right because it's like how do you how do you sort human beings and you know (laughs) pull which one of us deserves to be in an asylum or um is unfit or you know how we've been judged to be that way and um and even the care workers inside the asylum like the nurse is just i find (laughs) the nurse's palms so incredibly haunting um would you like to turn to your book and um read something now or
1: sure um
0: oh and i uh, should say like when i brought up the nurse um that you have these um prose newspaper articles that are um are discussing um a fire that has taken place in the asylum
1: right yeah uh you got me thinking about um uh, Dottie, the caregiver, the, the nurse at the asylum, and um, what she goes through with the with the speaker. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll read that. So this is uh in the aftermath section um called Dottie Scars. So uh, yeah the, a fire takes place in the asylum and uh Dottie is one of the nurses and she kind of has a relationship with the speaker throughout the uh the book. So uh, this is after the fires take place. Dottie Scars. I blame myself for the litany of sins from the fire in your flesh. Bullied by flames, you trapped yourself in a closet until the firemen axed, you axed, you axed, you out like a cry in the basement. My faults orbit your skin in erupted embers. They spell my name. I translate the tears a language I never learned even after French and German and death. My tongue aches with your vows. Loosen my lips to say, forgive me. Yeah, and so she's like, I guess uh, she's like the, the person that you are saying, like, you know, the person that takes all of this home and, you know, uh, I was trying to Again, like as I'm thinking about it, weave sort of these stories together instead of just they're just being isolated uh, works about like different people. So you see like different uh, characters pop up in different poems, like uh, in the Beast poem, you still see uh, Dottie there, or uh, you see different characters come up in other characters' poems. So, um, So it's kind of like trying to, you know, I guess sew a quilt (laughs) and uh, put that all together. But uh, yeah, she is definitely someone that is important to the speaker. But uh, I actually wrote uh, a few poems, I guess, not in Dottie's voice, but like surrounding her story, because it was like she had a, a backstory, too, where... Uh, she had a husband, but he ran off, and well, actually, she separated. I'm sorry, she separated herself from her husband and her son because she wanted to pursue her uh, nursing career, and the husband wasn't really down with that. So, uh, she went to school, and now she's in this asylum here with uh all these other people, and then that's where she meets the speaker, who's a custodian. Uh, so. She has a whole uh, story related to this. So, I mean, I guess she could have her own. She could have been the speaker. So, like, it's it's funny how each one of the people in the book, they could have been the speaker uh, in a lot of these poems, but it's kind of told through the lens of the custodian who kind of sees everything.
0: Yeah, I really like that thinking about... Um a possibility like they could have been the speaker right um because i think it says something about the community too of the book because sometimes it's like a book has a very clear speaker and no one else could have been the speaker right um so it's really interesting when when voices are weighted more equally with each other um in the um, associated press um, you know, art I want to say, you know, article, but I also want to say like created article, you know, like I don't want to be confusing her. Um but that when they when the Dr. Ramsey is making a comment on her death and mm-hmm. um and compares her to a Mule, um it's just like the kind of language I don't know what it is I and, and you do that several times throughout the text where there's like the animal, um, comparison. And it's just so hard, um, to read and, you know, I think it's, it's absolutely a part of, you know, talking about how we've treated people with, um, you know, mental health issues while we've You know, try to like separate who we see as sick. And um then of course there's the further separation and segregation um that your book is addressing. And um and so it's like it's even more, it's like double, you know, like I don't know, not that you can give a mathematic equation. It's you know, to say like doubled is what's that mean. Um but yeah, I think of um I think of Joshua Bennett's work, his critical work. Um are people kind of interested in in thinking more about this um which i'll make sure to i always try to stick things that we talk about during um our conversation into our show notes just so if people yeah. want to follow a text up or um that that brings up for me lynn have um so you had like the um a hospital asylum in columbus right is that columbia columbia thank you i'll edit that out so i don't say columbia <laughs> <laughs> no, <So> just... <laughs> thank you easy to do yeah um so there's that original kind of um inspiration for you have there been poetic models or critical model i mean you mentioned one uh critical model specific to that site but um are there other poets you that you kind of see as um, with, with books that kind of orbit your book?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I was, like I said, I didn't want to frame it as like this, uh, well, definitely any type of work that's like research-based, like, um, you know, Voyage of the Sable Venus by uh, Robin Costa-Lewis or, you um, Tracy K. Smith, Way in the Water. I mean, just any type of book like that's like archival and, you know, taking all of this history and trying to uh, frame it or not trying to, just framing it into uh, the poetic form is, I just admire that. And so, um, and it's a huge undertaking, Like guess, it's, it's it can be mentally like draining to, to say, well, man, I have this big task, you know, it's, it's almost like a calling. It's like, well, you've been chosen to do this type of thing. And, you know, I, the the work it takes to, to put something like that together is just awesome to me. And um, yeah, so I, I would bring in all of those uh, things that I have read and, you know, taken in and seen, you know, this type of work to be done. Um, I had the privilege of uh, doing an interview with uh, Nomi Stone a few years back, and uh, her book uh, Kill Class was, you know, sort of this, like, anthropological type of work as well. So um, I really, I really uh, think that's, you know, part of the poet's uh, life is, you know, take think to assimilate all of this uh, history and knowledge, and you know, make it relevant for the present and the future. So, uh, definitely those works and more.
0: Those are some great, great titles to name. Um, Voyage of the Sable Venus just, they really blew the top off my head. When I read it. I just mm-hmm. <laughs> it's. Um, so incredible um and i think it you know it kind of segues us into i wanted to ask about too muchness and um and we brushed on it a little at the beginning just mentioning the full title um negro asylum for the lunatic scene right because there's almost like three synonyms in, in the title right um and and this is something i i'm sure it's not just me but you know like it's something people say to poets, like, it's like too much, or you're just too much, or. Um, <laughs> and, and so it's like, but we're also drawn to these projects that are almost too much. Um, What do you think about that? Yeah, Is why, it- why would
1: you want to do this to yourself? <laughs> it's like, that's the question, right? It's like, what? There, there, there are plenty of other easier things you could be doing in life. I think about that every day, probably. <laughs> Like why can't you just be like a regular person? But you know, <laughs> and not have to be like having so many projects and stuff. Mm. But, uh, but I think this <laughs> Yeah. I know and um you know, I I think that's uh a, that's a, a therapy journey in itself. It's like, you know, <laughs> why <laughs> why so many things? But um uh, but yeah, I think it's it's a challenge it's an opportunity it's a task like i said earlier it, it may be a calling in some respects like you know um i i think i really think poets are like called to like share these things it's not the easiest life so it's not like you can necessarily say and a lot of people that you know try to do it and it's not something that they're passionate about or not something that they feel that, you know, is their life's work. You know, they had the opportunity to quit and, you know, discontinue it. But the ones that I think stick with it, I think is, you know, they feel it in their bones. It's like something I have to do or, you know, these words are in me and they have to come out, right? So um, I guess the two more, I love that word, too muchness. <laughs> I think it's, you know, Maybe it might be the story of my life. <laughs> 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 too much. Yeah. yeah. Love it's,
0: that. I mean, it's definitely, and, and that's the work. That's the work I'm drawn to reading. Um, mm-hmm. That's always the work that seems to me the most invested um, and the most engaged. And I mean, we, again, we talked about this a little earlier about, you know, when to take a break and when to care for our own mental health and, I think of Octavia Butler, who like really had to, you know, at, at one point just say, I can't write anymore on this series. Like the research is, is so like the eugenics, it's just too, it's, it's genuinely too much. Um, but then at the same time, like that's when she took a break and wrote Fledgling. So like if that, that's Octavia Butler doing something for fun, like we, which is such <laughs> an intense Amazing book. Um writing so it's, to take a break from the writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and, and you know, I I was talking with Kate aver on the podcast a couple of episodes ago about the kind of intensity poets have that they bring, and um the idea that it can even view out nothing, that like even absence, like we can be really intense about it. But I also think it really has something to do with. And I'm not. this isn't a perfect word, but like artistic vision or having, you know, a motive and having, you know, a reason to do what you're doing. Like you have to be, you have to be engaged at that level. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's something we're seeing. I feel like even more in novels that mm-hmm. we're seeing this kind of shared across genre right now. I think of titles. Like, oh, yeah night bitch i think of the vegetarian i think of like all these like kind of incredible novels um that are just like blow your hair back um so good and um i haven't i should say i haven't read night bitch but it's one of those um, people are talking about and i'll i'll get around to it um hey. so it's it's interesting it's like <laughs> yeah oh dear lord my <laughs> two repile it's a mess it's a mess <laughs> it's a library <laughs> yeah but like the floor library at this point like I can't quite get into bed it's it always like picking up the <laughs> carpet space and you're like stepping over it awkwardly <laughs> um yeah but I mean it's a it's a good life I was talking to two second graders this week and I was I was trying to explain to them like OG books are are, you know they're they're slim they're like see like this is a poetry book and, but then they're looking at me and I realized like most of their books are that size and they, <laughs> <are. just> really, <laughs> they were like looking at me and I was trying to say something to them about I don't know what I was trying to say to them actually but I just thought it was like an important you know it, I think I was thinking about ease of access because sometimes a, a child's chapter book can seem very chung, like just big and intimidating yeah Yeah. yeah. But,
1: but then poetry books are deceptive, too, because it's like they're thin, but they can be like over 100 pages. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, so interesting exactly. how that works. Yes. Like several polls, but it's like this thin little package.
0: Oh. Dozens of polls. I I didn't think I was going to be able to finish Carl Phillips' um, Then the War, because I kept reading a poem and then having to like set it down.
1: <laughs> like,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, and your your collection is, um, it's longer too. It's um, eighty five pages. Okay, so it's ninety six pages as a document. Oh my, uh, the way I have it open, but it's eighty five pages. Um, I mean that's substantial. That really which stopped
1: me, by the way, too. When I when I saw it like in <laughs> the physical form, I was like, whoa, that. it didn't seem like that but I mean when you when you package it in the the thin book or the the six by nine book is like wow that's a that's gonna that's gonna take some time
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I I don't I like that I mean I'm here for the projects being the size they need to be I do think I have a manuscript that I need to cut from but it's so it can be really and that can be the beauty of a project book is like but I think it's just as hard you're like does this poem go or stay does it go or stay <laughs> still how much do you feel like you cut a lot or no um or did you cut any characters or because that's a whole writing poems with different speakers and characters is like a whole nother level of choices
1: yeah definitely um like I was saying with the with the Dottie poems um that didn't make it in. Um also I was trying to challenge myself and made like this like very complex blob of a poem. i call calling it now because it was like an absidarian, but it was a forward absidarian and then in the N words it was a reverse absidarian, and then I was trying to do like so many things, and it, it was just so it was like the matrix, synapsidarian so matrix <laughs> is what it was. And so it it was too, I guess, too complex. It, it was not doing what I wanted it to do, so it couldn't uh, be in there. But yeah, um, just like uh, trying to challenge myself. Like there's a lot of, um, well, not a lot, but there's a few like traditional forms in there. I think there's like a Pantone in the book and, and other things. So uh there's a hustle in there. Mm-hmm. So so um yeah just trying to flex those poetry muscles a little bit. What
0: was your favorite um form that you used?
1: The the favorite form that I use? Wow um probably the it might be the hustle point, the, the one uh that was about Calhoun or um the one about uh Chamberlain Taylor, the the previous owner of the of the asylum property. And um the way it kind of just tells a story, I think, uh was neat to do. And it was it was really an experiment. Uh Chamberlain Taylor gambles away his estate. 1853, Um, yeah, it was just something I, I mean, I don't do on a regular basis, so uh, it might have been something that I originated from a workshop or something, but um, yeah, I was just trying to challenge myself and and make it something that was relevant to this manuscript. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these early poems, are, as I look, a lot of these early poems are like traditional which kind of speaks to you know the overall theme of like his history and tradition and mental health and you know or like the state of South Carolina and the traditions that Mm -hmm. you know kind of govern us today to this day of uh how mental health is viewed how black people are viewed and you know so like you said earlier about the excerpt um it was very, very difficult to embody some of those voices as well, or to to hear mostly the vo- those historical type voices like a uh, Strom Thurmond or you know like a John C. Calhoun and you know to bring in those voices to this thing called the Negro Asylum, right? So it it kind of seems like an oxymoron to have these speakers in there. It's like, why do you have those those people doing things in your book? But it's like, that's part of the journey. That's part of, you know, what makes the history of Black mental health in South Carolina, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, some of those forms kind of help deal with that. Like, uh, there's a speech from Strom Thurmond, who was a uh, governor of South Carolina at one point. And uh, before he was a senator, which everybody knows him as, but uh, to bring in that voice and kind of incorporate it into uh, this sort of uh, reality, it was challenging. But also, I think I, I was really trying to listen rather than say, OK, I'm going to be strong. I was just trying to listen to, you know, like a strong Thurman speech or hear like the words of strong Thurman. And, you know, uh, Nikki Finney does, uh, poems about that, like in, uh, she has that dancing with strong poem that is uh, so impactful. And, um, also Terrence Hayes, he had a a persona poem about strong Thurman called, I think the blue strom or or something. And so I was, you know, and those two people are are from the state. So it's like, you know, kind of in that tradition, hearing that voice and, which, you know really resonates throughout the state regardless of you know it being the year that it is you know regardless of it being the present, you still see like buildings with the name Strong Thurmond on them here or statues or things like that. So um, it's all the way around And so the traditional forms I think really help kind of tell that that tale, that history.
0: That is so cool. To think about like we inherit forms um and like you know what they repeat in in like the forms in which we work I think that's um really incredible and kind of re-enlivens forms for me thinking about them that way also wow South Carolina has some amazing <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing I di- I didn't realize Terrence Hayes is from South Carolina yeah. Uh, very cool. Wow. Um. Yeah, that I think that it really ties back into the conversation of like mental health too. And I just, the things that whether, you, you know, they're at work, like they are at work. Um. So like the things that work in poetic form, the things that are working our state histories, you know, the way. Lots are allocated you know and, and just even in terms of land like how things are zoned and coded and yes it's just there's so much more residual history in everything than than we realize um and i think learning about it and naming it is part of um it's part of the work of freedom like i think it's part of how you you get free from some of these things um I mean, it's it's a violence that happens in your book, but there is something there is something freeing too about the burning that you like can create this space and then burn it. Um, even though it's like obviously a, a complex thing in the text, um, how did you decide to to do that? Like to have the burning of the asylum.
1: That's such an amazing point. To, uh, to think about now that you say that. Um, I think that um, it was a choice, but I didn't see the asylum surviving mm-hmm. very long, or as long as it, I mean, it survived for like decades, but in the book, but uh, just so many like <clears throat> outside forces, like race, politics, um, just going on i didn't think that it could be in its location which is like in the middle of the the state in the middle of the city you know and kind of that uh, speech by strong Thurmond kind of speaks to that it's like you know if you if you want to analyze it like why would during this there is <laughs> in the state of south carolina why a an all-black asylum and why would people be okay with that okay. so he kind of addresses that in the speech but um i didn't think in the environment and in the location and in the period that it would survive and um that's kind of uh what happens i mean there's a whole story behind what happens to the asylum uh but it doesn't survive and and i mean that you know that early on because one of those articles is uh in the the early section so you already know that uh You know something's gonna happen to the asylum you just don't know like the pieces surrounding it so uh yeah and you know history tells us you know especially here in south carolina it did not you know (laughs) the the the, uh all-black asylum that was here um also did not survive um there are like unmarked graves to this day that are here uh in south carolina with patients from the the black asylum that was just buried there after they died in the asylum so they're just like stones mm-hmm. that are numbered mm-hmm. and so um uh, i don't know i i didn't see like uh to put on my afrofuturism glasses i didn't see like you know the asylum like rising up above all of this or like moving to another planet maybe <laughs> or like a different reality or future or multiverse something like that that's that's not what I was trying to do with this. Um I just didn't see a survival, but I did see um a lot of the trauma that is historical that is in our state of uh, South Carolina and how that sort of plays out even well. It's kind of like uh like when people in uh, the movie, I don't know if you've seen the movie Queen and Slim. Yeah. that uh was about uh, uh, I think that Daniel Kalua is in. He's uh, has the the girlfriend, and uh, they kill the police officer, and they're like on the run throughout the whole uh, thing. And so uh, it's been a few years. So I guess spoiler alert: they don't make it <laughs> in the in the uh, in the movie. But people were upset with that, uh, you know, and said, "Well, you know, why did they have to die?" And so, like even in like a fictional universe, you know, there are still real and present dangers uh, that affect Black people, and I don't think escape is always net important. Necessary, not important, but necessary or even uh, an option a lot of times in in those realities. So it's not like a, you know. Do as mechanisms where me- 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 they can, you know, just like be rescued out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, and so there wasn't like a Martin Luther King in this book, or you know, <laughs> I mean, those figures were, you know, obviously in the conscious, but not, you know, just absolutely present like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the South has such a um a relationship with fire and arson and and yeah. you know the burning of of public um black space community spaces um mm-hmm. you know whether it's medical or church or so like that fire like there's always something like to so that's why I wasn't like putting a, a positive spin on like a fire because it's that's kind of impossible to do um mm-hmm. but it does i think it does raise a lot of questions and just whether the institution survives, like how it survives, um, yeah. Oh, um, are there is there a poem or two you'd like to read at this point?
1: Okay, yeah, sure. Um, um, we haven't talking talked about Brock uh, Bridges, which is like a central. Hmm. Uh person in the book for the speaker, he's kind of like a sort of like a compass for uh, the custodian's mental health as well. You mentioned uh, PTSD earlier. The, The speaker is a custodian who is a World War II veteran. And so he's dealing with a lot of the trauma that he dealt with there from his life as a soldier and coming into this asylum as a custodian and not a patient really uh helps him kind of you know do like some maybe maybe some self therapy and so Brock Bridges is like a central part of that uh self therapy that this the custodian does and so this poem uh is called Brock Bridges a small town circus frequenting the Piglet wiggly Gangly tornado twisting, touching down in the parking lot, pointing and shouting at those braving the storm. Black folk knew him, harmless as cotton. White ladies clutched or reversed in their cars. Sometimes police came, but he entertained the law. Half dozen squad cars, uniforms laughing in a circle holding each other up. Who are you cursing out today, huh? Brock, go easy on him, boy. He attracted the law, but tamed it. Cuffed them with his odor. Store manager wasn't arrested by the picket fence teeth and black gums. That old dog became an honorary bagger. When he opened his ashy palms, fingers out like a weather vane, they tipped him a dollar. He would gallop home with a wad of smelly bills. One day, a white lady found him pissing outside the store. Came close behind, cursed him to leave. He swung around, startled, sprayed her face. Calhoun became his home there. Tornado kept twisting, blistering cloud they called touched, but one they never would. Yeah, so uh, Calhoun is the the name of the asylum is John C. Calhoun. Negro Asylum for the Lunatic Insane, so, which was an an even longer title that is not gonna be, was not the title of the book, but uh, that's the name of the the hospital or the the asylum itself. So, yeah, there are several of the the poems uh, focus on uh, Brock Bridges and how he not only deals with his own mental health, but his surroundings uh, racial surroundings, the politics and just everything and the the custodian, the speaker is just, even though he he doesn't say it, like, you know, directly, he's kind of admires the way he, he lives his life. It's kinda like, uh, he's kind of like he's Brock Bridges is obviously mentally ill, but he's kind of just taking all of this. This on, you know, the the four walls of the asylum, the the racial issues, the Ku Klux Klan, the, you know, the the orderly that he gets involved with, you know, all of that is it's kind of like he has on like this protective cloak from it. And he's just focusing on nature or focusing on himself or just his own mind. And uh, the speaker is like, Well, how can he do that? Or is trying to balance how can he do that with uh things that have happened in the custodian's own life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate, too, that you, like, bring in, like, the World War II um, veteran, like, Black veteran relationship to trauma, um, because I think there's such a, like, it can be such a white history where, like, it defaults to, like, vietnam vets and even Mm -hmm. though of course to default to thinking about white veterans for that is is just untrue um and just shows like what eraser memories we have um as white people so um to be like because i because i just just spent a long time reading about like um major like mental health um basically like crises i'm in in treatment periods in history and um one of the big things is they have to be like accompanied by a social political movement in order to be supported and remembered um so like hysteria with freud yeah. and women is like one thing and then um world war one and world war two which finally it really like actually came to foreground with vietnam um and and but it started with like the shell shock and um and it was basically hysteria for men um so like having to deal with like how we (laughs) gender all of this too being like oh hysteria is just for women and then shell shock is just for men when it's like no it's like the human body responding to things that are like way more than a human body can process Mm -hmm. um and then the third is like the kind of um dealing with rape culture and, and sexual assault and um mm-hmm. me too but that really began in the 70s to like to be to come to the fore now um and mostly it shows it's just that especially um people in power are really comfortable looking away really really comfortable um For sure. and burying and erasing and so um, I'm so glad you mentioned like Nikki Fenney earlier because especially with some of your forms like now I'm like oh yeah okay um, totally like she's one of your people um, in terms of like the historical work and using a quatrain to do a kind of narrative ballad work on the page with like a longer poem that's doing something you know very constructive in how it works um, and is also telling you about like a history and it's not just history as we know it right but it's like the history we don't know the history we're not talking about the history we're looking over um mm-hmm. and i think that's a i think of her um love child's um book as just you know i think i think if listeners um like nikki finney they should definitely look up your book and and Lynn, it's it's still in pre-order, right? Your book?
1: It's available now.
0: Oh, it's available now. When is your yeah. update?
1: It was uh this week on oh uh, my goodness. Wednesday.
0: Oh yes. congratulations! I didn't realize that. That's wonderful. Yes. Um, and where can folks find your book?
1: Yes, uh currently people can find it on the main street rag website uh mainstreetrag.com and they can uh, order it there
0: great i will include a link to order in our in our show notes um congratulations on this being pub week for you have you um how are you
1: celebrating <laughs> <laughs> I'm celebrating by going back to work uh. <laughs> <laughs> no i've had like a long break from uh teaching like we talked about this uh off air so um i've had time to sort of uh you know relax process things like uh people always ask you know what are you gonna do during the break and i'm like i'm, I'm actually gonna break because uh this year there, uh, there's this uh, book, and then there's uh, other things that have in the works, maybe, and um, you know, just uh, social activism things that are going on that uh, I just wanted to be rested up for. So, uh, yeah, that's what I, I guess I, I, I guess I pre-celebrated <laughs> if that's a thing. I pregame. Oh, I mean, <laughs>
0: yeah, and rest is a great answer to that too. <laughs> uh, are there readings or um, festivals or events you want to mention that you have coming up for, for listeners?
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, I do plan on being at the uh, AWP conference in Seattle. Um, but uh, I have some... I like got a, a virtual reading upcoming in uh, February with uh, Mesa Community College. It's is virtual. Uh, Mesa Community College from Arizona, but uh, in person, I'll be at uh, uh, Malaprops in Asheville. I'll be at uh, McIntyre Books in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, I think it is. and uh you know several other like regional venues and probably more to come so now you can look at my my website thenlawson.co for uh details on those or like upcoming things but uh again that's why i was saying you know okay i'm just gonna chill (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: i'm
1: gonna be around
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah kind
1: of like last year when that uh the anthology came out It was like you know on the road on the road like the road warrior but um maybe not so much that but you know still trying to get around yeah, yeah.
0: have some nice pacing that can be <laughs> all kinds of good well we'll make sure to, to link to those and i'll i'll um make sure to share those via our social media but thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your poems and um, excited for others to read Nico Asylum for the Lunatic and Saint I don't think it's too long a title all oh, it's perfect
1: <laughs> no, thank you that makes me feel good <laughs> uh, I appreciate the time this has been fun
0: thanks Lynn